0: Good morning, church. Before we pray this morning, um, I think it's important we just reflect on just those last words that we just sang. You never change. God does not change, His Word does not change. Everything we sang this morning was based on Scripture, God's Word. And if we think about the world around us, we think about how quickly things can change. How there's a lack of order, a lack of certainty, a lack of predictability. Things can just turn so quickly. Parents, you you look around and you see your kids and they change quick. This morning I, I, I asked, you know, how's Will doing as he travels to another country? When I first met Will, I never thought he would... Leave Hickson to be honest, and every time will sees me, he gives me a big hug how you doing? I see these little kids growing we're all we 're all growing older. things change it's harder to get up in the morning, knees hurt. <laughs> sometimes we may lose our job we may um, have something happen uh tj one of our uh, our elders just a couple weeks ago his car was totaled on the way to work hit a deer things change but god does not change he is always there we can stand firm on god and god alone and this morning before david comes up to preach and before i pray i want to just take a moment for everyone to just to, just to just to meditate, just to think over what are you standing on? Are you trying to stand on something that is, that is not firm and solid? Are you relying on someone or something or yourself? Christ is, is, is calling to you. come to him, rely on him, rest in him, throw all your burdens to him. There's nothing that he can't handle and there is nothing that we can handle. So we should stand firm on Christ. We 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 should rest in him. We should act with him in our minds. And so as we hear his word this morning, listen, let the, let the Holy Spirit t- talk to you. Hear the words of, of Christ. They are unchanging. Let's pray. Lord Father, I thank you for being predictable, for being uh, of order. Lord, in a world around us that is just. Ever devolving into to, to chaos, disorder, uncertainty, unpredictability. Or we know that there there are things that can change so quickly here on this earth, but you do not change. Lord, I pray this morning that, that as your word is preached, your Lord, that, that we, will, we will look back, that, that there has not been a time where you weren't. There will not be a time where you will not be. You will reign forever. Lord, thank you. I pray this morning that as David comes up to preach, that... That you will give him boldness, give him um, uh, your authority to speak your words, and that we will hear your words, and we will be changed by your words, and that if we're we're living our lives on some sort of unstable foundation, dear Lord, that we will just just take the invitation just to stand on your foundation, an unchanging, undefeated. solid rock to stand on. Lord, protect our minds, protect our spirits this morning. Don't let Satan get in in to distract us with the, the chaos of the world around us. We love you. We thank you for all that you have done for us, all that you are doing for us, and all that you have in store for us. Let us hear you this morning and live in obedience. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
1: few weeks back as I was in the middle of the Rethinking Church series that we just finished, uh, I was thinking about the effects of teaching on Koinonia and in focusing on Koinonia. If you're, not, if you're not familiar with that, if this is your first time with us, um, I'll stick up that definition that we worked through for a little while. Um, and I, I got thinking about this because in light of the amazing benefits to a church living in Koinonia, there are some effects that um, inevitably follow uh, for anybody who takes that seriously. Anybody who decides that you really want to live in that kind of, of close fellowship that only Christ can provide. But what it essentially means, if I were to sum it all up, it means you've got a target on your back. It means you're in the crosshairs. So I began to think about what to do about that. Uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks, I realized that I needed to develop a, a series where we could address it, where we could deal with and help us keep from giving up under the pressure that mounts So I turn to Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 20 as the text that I hope that you will be strengthened by uh, and encouraged in the next eight weeks as we go through this text. So I want us to start by reading it together or follow along as I read it, if you will. Finally, I'm going to have to look up here, too, because it's blurred out on my screen. Finally, be, strong, be strengthened by the Lord and His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance. Pray also for for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. If we're going to take seriously and be serious about developing koinonia within our fellowship, then there is one thing that I am sure of that we have to keep in mind. And that is that Satan hates it. He will do everything in his power to stop it. Everything in his power to thwart it. And a church living out koinonia is powerful and is a major threat because there's virtually nothing that we can't do. There's nothing that we can't do that God calls us to do if we are focused on him for the sake of the kingdom. So, so you may find or maybe you have found over the last weeks, if you've been taking seriously this, this focus on koinonia and being the church, being the, the ecclesia, you may find that you have perhaps been more easily frustrated with the people around you especially your family. They tend to get on our nerves the most. Or church members, maybe we're more easily offended. Maybe friendships are more challenging or or even just getting together. I have found it's been really hard over the last several weeks just to make appointments with people just because the schedule gets overloaded. the, The weather happens. So, so many things that can keep us apart. We might find that it's harder to fight off sinful temptation that we're more apathetic towards our faith than normal maybe you're doubting God's love for you or even doubting the efficiency or the truthfulness of the word of God itself or maybe you're just busy distracted overwhelmed well my prayer is that you will recognize these for what they are and not be overwhelmed or discouraged by them as a matter of fact it If we look at this the right way, it's an encouragement because it means that we're a threat. If we find the opposition mounting against us when we try to be more like Jesus, we try to be more like the church that he designed, we want Jesus to control us more and to lead us more fully, then we're a threat to the things of the enemy. And these kinds of attacks are expected in any church that becomes serious about being more Than a cultural one day a week gathering of Americanized Western people who just give a hat tip to God on Sundays. If we don't realize this and ready ourselves for it, then we will be victimized yet again and it will not be able to feel or experience or live the koinonia that God has for us. Satan's attacks are vicious, they are constant, and they are effective. And pastors and church leaders deal with this constantly. Because they're going to hit you where you are, hit you where you're most vulnerable. They'll get your weak spots, at your areas of possible compromise, at those places where you find exceptions to following Jesus sacrificially. The place that hurts you the most and demands the most from you. That place that will cause the church the maximum damage. That's where Satan hits us every single time. It's the way he attacked Jesus. So why should we be an exception? Why should it be any different for us as well. So the question has nothing to do as to whether it will happen. Again, if you've not already experienced it will happen. If you get serious in any way in you're with Jesus, the attacks are inevitable. The only question that, that lies out there is what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do in response to the attacks when they come? How are you going to respond? How, how willing are you to compromise? To compromise, to keep what you want, to get what you want, to keep what is yours, to be heard, to be right, to have your way, to be comfortable. See, we're all tempted like this, but we don't all fall the same way. We, we don't all go to this in the same degree. Sometimes we don't fall at all, but we don't have to. And that's what we want to we be encouraged by. I have learned along the way, most of the time, or quite often I should say, the hard way, that giving in to the easiest and most appealing way is the the way of myself, the way of my own desires, but it is never, ever, ever worth the compromise. The alternate is to deny our fallen preferences and fight against it. There is no other alternative and there's no other way towards koinoniae. Except for us to fight. So we have to spend some time on the nature of the battle and the nature of the weaponry that's found in Ephesians 6. That's what we're going to do over the next eight weeks. But before we get there, we need to understand all that Paul or most of what Paul has said up to that point. We're in chapter 6. We're talking an expositional sermon. It means to take what is there and finding out what God is saying through the writer. And so we need to look first at what Paul says in verses, or chapters 1 through 5 as it relates to what God has done for us to make possible for the church to take a stand. And something we need to take note of is if there's anything along that path that originates with us, that is based on our power, our ability, then we're, we're already dead in the water before we start. It has to be all God. And what we find in the writings of Ephesians Uh, from Paul, is that it is all God. So this is going to be a quick summary, uh, and it begins big. Chapter 1, verse 3. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. A huge, huge statement. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, which means there's nothing Excluded. I, I can't even tell you the extent of it. I can't tell you because in the, the 49 or so years that I've been walking with Jesus, I'm still working on trying to figure out what I do know, the, the blessings that I have received. And then there's this limitless level of spiritual blessings that we have to our, at our disposal because if we have Jesus, we have everything. Verse 4, He chose us to be holy and blameless in love before Him. He chose. I don't shy away from those words. Because if you know Jesus, it's because Jesus has let you know him. If you want to say that that choice is in relation to the holiness and the blamelessness, once you become a believer, that's fine. We can go with that. But it says he chose. Not that you might be holy. Not that you might be blameless but that you would be blameless that you are blameless which means through his sacrificial atonement he must make you holy he must make you blameless or you will never be that on your own praise god through christ you are already positionally holy and blameless when jesus looks at you he sees perfection because of his own work on the cross and the spirit in your heart to bring you to re- to repentance Verse 5, he predestined us to be adopted as his children. Okay, back here we are again. Here we are with this language. There's not much wiggle room on this one. Chosen to be adopted. Chosen to be children. Do I believe in God's sovereign choice in salvation? I have to. I have to because there is too much scripture that I would have to ignore or cut out of the Bible in order to get to that place. After 19 years of my Christian life trying my best to hold on to my own sovereignty, My own ability to choose or not choose, I had to give up because I couldn't do the theological gymnastics required to make sense of the biblical evidence evidence to the contrary. It is the Spirit of God who convicts and draws and leads us to the necessary response of a profession of faith in Jesus. And that faith is a gift of God so that we cannot boast. So rather than this leading to me feeling superior, to feeling as though I have a reason to be arrogant about this choice, it leads me to the opposite. It leads me to wonder, why in the world, Lord Jesus, would you choose somebody like me? Why would you convict me of my sin? Why would you lead me to a place of repentance? And then I understand that I have been, verse 6, lavish with grace. When you understand what Christ really did for you, you realize that you have been overwhelmed by grace, giving you what you do not deserve and what you could not ever earn. It is grace that provides every spiritual blessing that you have. Verses 7 through 8, Then we have been redeemed and forgiven according to his rich grace. The grace is your redemption from the penalty of sin and forgiveness from your rebellion against God, past, present, and future. It will never, ever be held against you. Hear that. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, in spite of the enemy wanting to tell you the contrary, you will never be held accountable for what you have done if you have been washed by the blood of Jesus. It will never be held against you, Hebrews chapter 10 and other passages tell us. Verses 9 through 12 the mystery of his will has been revealed to us that he is, the, he is bringing. All things together in Jesus to give us an inheritance, which is Christ. So you've not only been redeemed by Christ, you've been called by Christ. You are co-heirs with Christ so that all that is Christ is yours. The inheritance is Christ himself. Christ, the source of all spiritual blessing, is yours because of your adoption. Verses 13 and 14, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. This adoption as children can never be undone. You can't sin your way out of it any more than you were able to work your way into it. And the beauty is that being sealed by the Spirit is to be indwelled by the Spirit who leads you from the very thing that would kill you, and that is your own appetite, your own sinful appetite. Verse 22, the Father subjected everything under the feet of Christ. And he appointed him head of everything for the ecclesia, which is his body and the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. And all of this is experienced by and through the redeemed family of believers, which is the church. Chapter two, verses 11 to 12, all uh, we are unified as one church in Christ who has fulfilled, who has finished, who has completed the law, replacing it with himself. Why don't we still actively observe the law? Because it has been finished, not abolished, completed. Matthew chapter five verse seventeen, Ephesians chapter two verse fifteen, a couple of verses down, fulfilled in every way, so that what remains is Christ and the law that we are beholden to is the law of love, as Paul says in Romans chapter thirteen, chapter two verse twenty-two. This church is being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit, that God will Himself. Dwell among his people. We sing a song about it that comes right out of Revelation chapter 21. Chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. God proclaims his multifaceted wisdom through the church by faith in him, and we have boldness to accomplish all that his will has determined to do through us. Chapter 4, 11 through 16. God has equipped the church for the ministry by providing leaders who train and equip the whole church for works of ministry. The question we have to ask is, are we a part of that? Are we fulfilling our role within the church that God has uh, provided for it? Chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, he has shown us what it looks like to walk in holiness through the example of Jesus loving us to the point of death. Chapter 5, verses 6 through 32, he has told us how to walk in obedience, not being deceived by empty, fruitless arguments, but through being filled with the Spirit. Encouraging and submitting to one another in love. The marriage relationship being the the closest, the clearest example that the church has to offer to the world of the relationship that Christ has with his beloved. Because of all of these promises and provisions that Paul has written about in this chapter, because of all the things that God has done, not that we have done nor are we responsible for, because of the work of God himself, then Paul can tell us, brothers and sisters, to take our stand. To take our stand. God in Christ has given us everything, all the power to be able to stand firm. So what we want to answer is how and why. First, the why. First, why. I think the simplest answer is what we have said over the last several weeks. Because God has created the church as an outpost of heaven in the world. Because we are the hands and the feet and the the heart of Jesus here in the world. We We are to do spiritual battle on behalf of each other so that the glory of Jesus will be seen through our standing in the face of things that ought to knock us down and knock us out. When we stand, it is that It is that faith that we stand against those things that come at us. And when they don't knock us down, when they don't take us out, then it is a testimony to the power of God within us. We're to be known for our expression of love for each other and our inability to be divided and defeated. That does not happen by accident. And it does not happen based on our ability. But it does happen through our effort. We don't like to talk about that. We like to think that that God does it all. And he, he is the all in and be all. But it is through our effort that this happens, which leads to the second question. How? Looking at verses 10 through 13. How is through our preparation according to the vast strength of the Lord? I get that in verse 13. Having prepared everything to take your stand. Upon what? Being strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. There is effort that goes in. There's intentionality that has to go into this. It's not just going to happen. There must be preparation. And so we think, what is this preparation? It's three things. We need to know our enemy. We need to know our power. And we need to know our responsibility. And for us to think about knowing our enemy, verse 12 is very clear that it is evil spiritual forces. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of darkness, and evil spiritual forces in heaven. So our enemy are the evil evil forces. Our power, in verse 10, is his vast strength. It is the power of the Lord himself that he gives us, which, of course, is limitless. We have everything we need to be able to stand and overcome, to be able to ward off the attacks that inevitably come against those who are going to be the church of Jesus Christ. And we have to know our responsibility, which is to put on or take up the full armor of God and to stand. That, point number three, is what we are going to spend the bulk or the rest of this, the next seven weeks, focusing on how, what, what is this armor? How do we put it on? How do we use it? Those are questions that I had most of my life. It was like, put on the full armor of God. I can put on a shirt. I know how to do that. I either pull it over or button it up. I know how to do that. It's, it's easy. But when it talks about this, this ethereal kind of armor, what, what does it mean? How do I do it? What effect does it really have on my life? If we go through much of our life not knowing what that is, when that's what God has given us to do battle with, then it makes sense that we we get defeated. We get knocked down. It, It makes sense that we're not able to stand firm. Because most of the time I'm going to stand firm in my own power. And what makes sense to me. One of the things that we tend to do Instead of the spiritual, uh, the warfare and the spiritual battle with the armor of God is that we tend to attack the wrong enemy with the wrong weaponry and for the wrong reasons. That's one of the great schemes of the enemy to get us to do it—to attack the wrong enemy with the wrong weaponry and for the wrong reasons. So I want to unpack that in the few minutes that we have remaining. What is the wrong enemy? Somebody tell me, class participation. What's the wrong enemy? People. Yeah, each other. It's people. What do we say here? Anybody that's got skin on it. Now, if I were to raise my hand on everybody who's got skin on today, that would be most of us, right? I mean, And that's, that's the enemy that we tend to fight against that is not really the enemy. It is usually those who are closest to us. I mentioned this earlier, family close friends, church friends, because why? They're the ones who uh, annoy us the most. They're the ones who, who have a tendency to offend us more readily. We, we let people in, and as we let people in, we inevitably give them an avenue into our, into our minds, into our heads, so that we can be offended by the things that people say. But it also can be people you don't, you've never met before quite often it's people who are at a different ideological position that you are, and quite often, or mostly, it's somebody who's on the other side of a screen. Because it's easier to attack people that we don't see face-to-face. We may not be in a grocery store or a store and see someone who is wearing a shirt that we disagree with. Most of us are not going to get in their face and, and talk about this thing that we disagree with. But those, some people might get on facebook or tiktok or whatever and engage in a very heated exchange because of the fact that it's easy to hate people that we don't know but verse 12 says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood our calling is not to fight each other but to fight for each other it's tough it's tough when we get offended it's tough to do when, when somebody rubs us the wrong way. So our calling then is to pray for each other. Our calling is to counsel one another, to hold each other accountable. Now for that to work, we have to be open to that. We have to be willing to receive that. And that's another part of that battle that we have to do. It's like I have to fight to make myself open to receiving something from you. That sounds offensive, but it might be for my benefit. It's to provide basic friendship where we are standing with each other through the struggles without giving each other a pass in regards to sin. I don't mean to embarrass him, but if it does, so be it. One of those in my life, and there are a few in my life that really can do this very effectively to me, one of the oldest in my life is Stephen Bowers. Stephen is one of those who, if I'm struggling, if I'm, if I'm wondering, if I'm, am I off base? Am I, is something, am I missing something? Stephen will cock that head to the side. And he'll say, well, I'll tell you, brother, if you are, I'll be the first to tell you. And he will. And I know that. Because Stephen and I have been through fire together. I know that Stephen loves me. So if he comes and he says, hey, David, I think you're off base on something. You, you know what I'm going to do? I'm like, tell me, brother, tell me what it is because there's a level of trust there. That's that's koinonia. That's koinonia. That's where we give each other permission to speak into each other's lives and we love each other by focusing on a common enemy and making sure that we don't become the enemy and man, the attacks can come even in that kind of a relationship. They're heavy. They're strong. Do not underestimate the power or the schemes of the enemy. We can use the wrong... Weaponry. I've said, every time I've said that, I've wanted to say wrong weaponry. This just comes out naturally. The wrong weaponry. And that is weapons of the flesh. Things like anger and hate, verbal attacks, emotional manipulations, passive aggressivism, abandonment, sarcasm, cursing, social media posts, hateful texts, slander, lies gossip. All of those are the weapons of the flesh, and I bet most of us are pretty proficient at most of them. Can I get an amen? That's what comes natural. Man, if you say something I don't like, I'm, I'm digging through the what do I have in my bag. Ah, have some passive-aggressivism. Boom! All right, a little sarcasm mixed in there, or I will just treat you like i cannot stand you right those are the things that kind of come natural but verse 11 says the weaponry we have been given is the full armor of god meaning that that comes from god it is the weaponry of god it comes from god and so it is going to be in according to his nature but it is also going to be that which brings him glory and none of those things that i tend to pull out of my own bag of tricks they don't bring god glory all they do is they, they defend my fragile ego. They protect me from the Spirit of God that would change me through accountability. They protect me from the things that I'm afraid of. Fear is not of God. So we, we use the wrong, the wrong weaponry. I told you I do it every time. And finally, we do it for the wrong reasons. I said that the weapons of God are from God, according to God, and for His glory. Well, the reasons that I would use the weapons of the flesh is self-centeredness and pride, impatience, arrogance, and fear. Things that are centered on the love of self rather than the love of God. It's like... How much do we how much do we have to hate each other if every time we were to speak to one another a word of truth that there is a counterattack with a weapon of the flesh? You think, well, I don't hate, I don't hate you. No, you probably don't. You probably don't, but when we bow to the schemes of the enemy, then we act as though we hate each other. We act as though we don't love each other, as though nothing has changed in us, that there's been no transformation in us whatsoever. Have you been transformed by the Word of God, by the power of God, by the Spirit of God? Then if so, that we need to make sure that we are not using the wrong weaponry for the wrong reasons. We have to, verse 11, to stand against the schemes of the devil to take our stand is to say enough to the tricks of the enemy because we are the church and the gates of hell cannot stand against the church when it is submitted to the power and the spirit of god some of the schemes as i was thinking through these some of the schemes tend to be to twist the word of god right it's it's the It's the age old, right? It's what he did to Adam and Eve. It was so easy and simple. It was so simple. Did God actually say? What's the answer? Yeah. Yeah, he did say. But it was a a simple scheme that caught them because it's what they wanted to do. Don't you know they were looking at that? It was like, hey, Adam, why, why do you think God said not to do that? I mean, that's the best-looking tree in there. I mean, it's that's good stuff right there. It's good eating, as we say in the South. So they're walking around the garden, and there's that, there's that tree again. And when the enemy comes up, all he has to do is say, did God really say that? Hmm, maybe not. Twist the word of God to turn us against each other in defense of our own desires fueled by pride and self-idolatry or for our own point of view to cause us to fail morally or spiritually to focus on the problem rather than the Savior let me stop and say that one again I think that's one of the easiest ones because the problems always are seen through a microscope, right? Th- think about that. When, when you have a problem, I don't care how small, I mean, it, it's like if you have a physical problem, like you've got a splinter, a splinter can make me want to gouge my eyes out. It hurts so bad, right? It just, it just all of my attention focuses on that spot, whether it's in my foot, every time I take a step, now I'm just jamming it up in my foot, it feels like my leg's gonna fall off. Everything that happens is like a microscope where it's magnified, when in reality, when we look through our Savior, the problem is like more like looking at him in a microscope and the problem is like looking through a telescope. It's just so far off. The thing that the enemy always wants to do is to take our eyes off Jesus and put it on the splinter. To take our eyes off of the Savior and look at the small thing, the problem in my life. That as I said earlier, is the very thing that God is going to turn around and use it for your, glo- your good and his glory. But the enemy always wants to switch that around. And that is why it is so very important that if the church is going to be the church, we have to do battle on behalf of each other, be able to speak the words of truth, not to belittle the problem, but to magnify the God. Right, the problem, What we often do is, ah, that's not so bad. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's a big problem in my life. I don't know where the next paycheck is going to come from. I don't know how I'm going to put food on the table. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this relational problem. It's big in my life. Okay, it is. But look how big God is. And His vast strength is at your disposal. At your disposal. All that is Christ's is yours because Christ is yours. So that's what the church is supposed to do. That's what we do for each other. Don't belittle, but, but magnify. Make sure we see how big God is in comparison. in comparison with the things that look so big in our own lives. Mountains always look really, really tall until you get in an airplane. I mean, I've seen some of the tallest You've probably seen on Google Earth, some of the, the tallest mountains. When you're on Google Earth and you just kind of spread back, you, you lose sight of it completely. That's, that's just a drop in the bucket of the power and magnitude of God in our lives. We have to do this for each other. The schemes of Satan are pretty clever, but they are predictable. He does do tend to do the same things over and over, and he just changes flavor. Right? And the Word of God reveals this to us. Again, we have been given every spiritual blessing to stand firm. So don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give in to the problems, and don't give in to the scheme that wants to use your own life and friendships and relationships against you. Don't be surprised when the temptations come. Read and reread this passage of Scripture. Hold on to the truth and put up a fight. But make sure that when you fight, it is the the right enemy. It's, It's the right weaponry. And it's for the right reasons. Let us finally, finally determine that we are going to stand firm together. And, and, and again, the problem is, the problem is, is that it all, that all that tends to go out the window when it happens. Right. I, I can't tell you how many times I have preached on something like this or 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 our, our Bible study or so is focused on this. It's like, yes. And then something happens. And all of a sudden, it's like all that goes out the window. It always happens that way. It should not be, but it does. Because because why? Because we make an exception based on the circumstance we're in right now. Okay. Again, scheme of the enemy. See it for what it is. You will always, unless you are fighting with the right weaponry and the right power, you will always make an exception for your situation you will always come up with a reason why it's okay for you to do that in that moment. Always. And I know you will. I've always done it myself. And, and you know you have too. Because this is just too strong. This is too bad. This is too horrible. And what I'm saying if I say that is God is too small. God is powerful, but not about this. God is strong, but not strong enough for this. I make an exception for myself and you do too. Let's decide no exceptions. Let's decide that together, we're not going to let each other have exceptions, that God is enough in every situation, whatever we're going through. And that enemy is not going to get us again, not this time, not anymore. We do that only as we submit to his authority, And we submit to one another, as the word tells us to. So that we can speak truth into each other's lives. And we can rescue each other from ourselves. And from the enemy that wants to destroy us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, this is tough stuff. This is hard stuff. And I guarantee, I know... Right now, the enemy's at work. I know that my words are twisted. Your words are twisted. He's going to do everything he can to twist this and let it cause conflict. He's going to use our circumstances to bring destruction. And we stand against that in the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, no more. Please, let us stand firm. Let us stand with compassion and grace for one another. But let us stand certainly. God, it's one thing I know for us to know the schemes. It's another thing for us to. To not be fooled by them. And as I have confessed over and over, Lord, I have fallen so many times. I've lost relationships because of my own pride, my own weakness. My own missteps, my own weaponry at use. And Lord, I'm really tired of giving the enemy victories he does not deserve. And stripping you of the glory that would be on display in my life. If I simply submitted to your power. And I did what your word says to do. May that be the case in our lives. I pray your protection over this body. I pray, Lord Jesus, that our eyes will be open. God, Because so many times it's like we get broadsided. The attacks usually come at the periphery. But I pray, Lord, if they come at us from the periphery, it is only because our eyes are locked squarely on you. And therefore, it will fall. Protect us, Lord, or we will fall. Build your church, Lord Jesus, according to your plan. For the glory of Christ. Amen. Let's stand in confidence and worship the Lord who is enough. He is enough.